I don't care how good shape your members may be in it, how good their cardio is. You're not going to be able to get people up there in a sufficient amount of time to be able to do anything of any, uh, with any significant objective in a certain time frame. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. You probably already know that high-rise firefighting is a lot of work, and it can be dangerous in different ways. It's important for you to know as much as possible about these buildings' design, construction, and even occupancy. Information is the key to good decision-making. That means pre-planning, according to our guest today. Mike Turpak was in the fire service for 39 years. The last 35 with the Jersey City Fire Department, where he was the deputy chief. Mike lectures on fire rescue topics, and he's the founder of Promotional Prep, a New Jersey-based consulting firm designed to prep firefighters and fire officers for promotional exams. And Mike Turpak joins me now. Thanks for being on Code 3 today. Thanks for the invite, Scott, and I appreciate it. Do you think departments train enough for high-rise fires? Quite honestly, I can't speak for every fire department, obviously, across the country. Uh, I think, based on my experience in Jersey City, we were doing some extensive training up until most recently when I retired. I hope they're continuing with it. But uh, quite honestly, this is something that's got to be visited not every few years, not even just annually. It's got to be visited every few months because it's such a unique type of firefight and at the same time it's something that it's not a frequented firefight so i think the academics is important here the education as often as possible what skills might firefighters need for this kind of a battle that they may not have well the skills are pretty much unique to the building design uh what i mean by that i mean we're used to fighting fires at least in where i was from in your older urban type centers your frame and brick tenement buildings uh, your large multiple dwelling H type type things, uh, you know, your factory warehouses, things of that nature and, and things that we pretty much frequent it quite often. And we got a good understanding of how the fire behaves in the building. When you're dealing with a high rise, in my particular opinion, you have to rely more on the building systems, meaning the elevators, the, the HVAC system, the fire pumps, the communications or lack thereof. And knowing how smoke and heat will travel within a building of significant height, how it's influenced by temperature it's outside the building and inside the building. So being very unique in that regard, you have to learn as much as you can about that type of structure and the uniqueness that goes with it. What would you say is the major, the one worst hazard to firefighters for working in a high-rise structure? Well, probably the, the greatest hazard is, uh, is buildings of height. I mean, when you have to bring fire department operations uh, significantly in and up above that seventh, eighth floor, that's probably the greatest hazard, uh, meaning we're not able to do things from the exterior with ladders or elevated host streams 
when we have to bring in the entire arsenal up and within and fight within a box, if I can use that word, that seems to be the greatest challenge. That within, you know, confines of a confined space, whether it's an apartment, a floor, or a number of floors, that to me is, seems to be the greatest challenge, bringing it up above what we normally are used to regarding height. Right. So does that make the elevator a firefighter's friend or an enemy? Well, great question, Scott. You know, to me, I've also often earmarked uh, the elevator for, in my opinion, as a necessary evil. Uh, it's, it, it is a, a concern, uh, but obviously when you have to bring that much of a, that much equipment and resources well above the seventh floor, seven, eight, nine, ten, or 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80 in my case, um, it is a option, and it's got to be an option that we have to entertain. Again, there are hazards that go with that. Uh, elevators do have issues. They do, you know, lose power. Uh, there's different things regarding shunt trips and uh, whatnot that goes with that. And, uh, but again, uh, as I stated earlier, it's a necessary evil, but it is definitely a hazard that we have to be well in tune to once again. How realistic is it to expect your typical crew of firefighters to run up or walk upstairs far, far enough to get to a fire? Is the elevator absolutely essential? I, would, I think it is. Uh, with, you know, with the amount of equipment that we need to bring uh, and the fact that we're fully encapsulated. I mean, our policy when I was with Jersey City was that was, there was a fire reported uh, anywhere with, within six floors of the lobby or the sky lobby, members were definitely encouraged to walk up uh, simply due to the fact to eliminate the concern of the elevator. And we felt we can traverse six floors relatively easily in a fair amount of time. But if we take that same situation and we move it up to the 30th or 40th floor, obviously that's where the elevator is needed. And that's where obviously you cannot, in my opinion, I don't care how well, uh, you know, how good shape your members may be and how they're good their cardio is, uh, everything that goes with that aspect. But you're not going to be able to get people up there in a sufficient amount of time, at least not enough of them up there in a sufficient amount of time to be able to do anything of any, uh, with any significant objective in a certain time frame. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a mute point at that point. So again, the elevator becomes the necessary evil. Now, I know there are different kinds of elevators in terms of how they're structured or constructed. Can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, there's no doubt you got to know before you go. It's an old saying, but it's a very good saying. Knowing the type of elevators that are in your building, if they have phase one and phase two of firefighter service controls, uh, obviously the difference between a passenger and a freight elevator and is, is one more of a viable option as compared to another? The answer to all those questions is maybe, but again, the maybe has to be answered based on some pre-incident information. Getting to your particular buildings and seeing you know, the number of elevators you have, uh, the banks and the floors that they serve, the features that allow you to have some afforded safety regarding having car capture and car control. And then, of course, looking at you know the other option being the freight versus the passenger. Now, again, Years ago, we just kind of shied away from freight elevators for a very good reason, because they didn't have that phase one, phase two firefighter service feature. Now, all new elevators, at least by me, have to have that firefighter phase one, phase two. So that elevator, the freight elevator, that is, becomes a very viable option 
you know, for the logistics people, for your support and supply people. Let me jump in here. It sure. seems to me that you would have to have done some pre-planning to know whether your particular structure has those elevators. Well, your your point is spot on. There's no doubt. You got to be able to get into these buildings, and I know many of your listeners probably have anywhere from dozens to hundreds to thousands of high-rise buildings in their respective town or city. And uh, we had uh, hundreds in Jersey City when I was there. And we developed a program through a city ordinance that required each and every high-rise building in the city to have an information system that was submitted to the department upon arrival when we walked in the lobby, as well as submitted to the Fire Prevention Bureau prior to an incident to be reviewed, where it obtained that in, that were contained that information. So again, it went back to the concept that we knew before we got there what elevators were going to be available to us based on a pre-plan that was done by the building, and then overseen and approved by fire prevention, and then eventually got to the firefighting forces. So we didn't really wait too much until we got there to figure this out. We we made a policy and a procedure and an ordinance that allowed us to know before unit an incident came in at a particular address. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. It sounds like a good pre-plan is going to be a necessary requirement when it comes to high-rise fires. I mean, you could you could take a normal two-and-a-half-story residential row frame that you might pre-plan because you have numerous ones in your district and take that same information but expand it significantly. What I mean by that is the building is construction type. Is it a cast-in-place or is it a steel skeleton high-rise? Two different designs, uh, designed specifically for two different types of occupancies. Of course, with that being added on to the height of the building, uh, the number of stairs in the building, uh, stair access, stair location. Again, I go back to elevators. Uh, <clears throat> and a number of other things regarding if there's anything regarding, you know, if it's a residential, if there's people who are uh, non-ambulatory, people on oxygen I mean, the list goes on and on. So we start from the simple pre-plan that you would do maybe for your residentials, but of course, expand it significantly based on the building type, the design, and the occupancy. What sort of things does a good pre-plan allow a battalion chief or division chief to actually decide on his way to the fire? Well, I mean, the pre-plan offers multiple things. Again, not only does it tell you things regarding the construction, the occupancy, and the height of the building. It tells you more about the people in the building, more definitively. The type, meaning the if there are different types of occupancy, let's say, for example, in a commercial building, if there's different types of uh, services going on, if there's banking and financial services, computer floors, you'd be surprised. You might find uh, a salon in there, restaurants in there. I mean, all those things are vital based on that floor, that location, that type of occupancy. And we can go on much further than this. One of the big things, I think, to further answer your question is the building layout and square footage. I mean, when you're standing in a lobby, you're just looking up at the underside of a ceiling. 
as compared to being out in the street looking at a row of frames or a row of brick type buildings. So you have to rely on that building intelligence or that pre-plan in the lobby, which again, it comes out to floor plans, uh, closest stairs, access stairs, convenience stairs, tenant stairs. And then of course, going further here, once your members get into the floor or get up onto the reported smoke or fire area, identifying the attack stair and then identifying an evacuation stair. So going beyond, I think that pre-plan regarding the building layout square footage, of course, occupancy, but building layout square footage and where it is and how you can access it is extremely critical for a chief officer in a lobby. He's got to have that information in front of him right at that lobby command post desk. All right. Great advice, Mike Terpak. Thanks for joining us on Code 3. Scott, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for the invite. And we put some more information about high-rise fires, mice websites, and links to order his books on our website at code3podcast.com slash highrise. Check it out. Are you ready for your trivia question? From memory now, no fair looking it up, What's the name of the actor who played both Engineer Schmidt in Backdraft and later Battalion Chief Jerry Riley in Rescue Me? I'll have that answer in a minute. If you've been thinking about making a monthly pledge to support Code 3, we have an even better reason for you to do it now. We've started a new subscriber-only benefit. It's called the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more material from some of our interviews. Interesting stuff that didn't make it into the regular show. But only patrons get to hear it. So head over to Code3Podcast.com slash support and make a pledge of $10 a month or more, and you'll get immediate access to the Bull Session. Don't miss it. Here's your trivia answer. The actor who went all the way from engineer to battalion chief was Jack McGee. Although I like him better as a firefighter, he's also known for playing a lot of roles as cops. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.